Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. And welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Morgan. And I'm Janos. Uh, today we're sitting down and drinking some beautiful, delicate green tea from the Global Tea Hut annual trip that we actually ourselves got to pick with uh, Katrine Olsen, who has just finished a 10 day course. Katrine is a commercial airline pilot based in Hong Kong, but originally from Denmark. We wanted to take this opportunity to talk to Katrine about her fascinating vocation her relationship to tea and the course she just finished. Make yourself a bowl of tea and join us. Before we get going, I would just like to mention that if you are listening to this episode in the year 2019, then that means that we are in the process of moving out of our current beautiful tea center called Tea Sage Hut, where for many years we have hosted many wonderful guests, served countless bowls of tea, and held many 10-day courses. We are right now raising money for a bigger and better free tea center, Light Meets Life. This is obviously a huge project and we appreciate all the help and support, whether in the form of donations or otherwise. Please go and check out our story at www.lightmeetslife.org or head straight to gofundme.com slash globalteahut. That's gofundme.com slash globalteahut to learn the best way you can support us. Thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast, Katrine. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to be sitting here at the actual hut and doing this with you. This mm. is amazing. And I can't believe you made this tea table into a recording <laughs> studio. That seems so appropriate for today. Yeah. We're so happy to have you. We are super glad to have you. Um, I'm actually curious to know how you came to apply for this 10-day course and uh, what was your motivation to do this? Um, I met T with Global Tea Hut um, a little over a year ago um, in Hong Kong. And I'm very fortunate. We have such a big um, Global Tea Hut community in Hong Kong. So I was already surrounded by a lot of people who had either been to the Center for the 10-day course or was about to actually go uh, or in the process of applying. So it was something that was kind of surrounded 
um, surrounded the community. It was something that most people did after a while when they've been a member and been serving tea for a while, just to kind of deepen your practice and learn more of, you know, like you always said, go to the source. <laughs> um, so as I know, it's quite hard because you have very limited um you have very limited amount of people who you can facilitate here. I it, it took a little while to to get a course, but um, around half a year ago, you opened up new courses, and at that time, I guess I was lucky. I talked to talked to Morgan and <laughs> applied, and you know I was lucky there was a spot. And then, fortunately enough, I got to see Morgan and Joyce only a week later at our. Um, women's gathering, garden gathering in Hong Kong, which was really beautiful. And I get to, got to meet them and I got to serve tea for a full three days. So that kind of really, it was a lot of things coming together, I think. And mm. it just proved it was the right thing. So, so yeah. Mm, amazing. Um, so as you mentioned, this is your first time here. Um, I'm just really curious to know about what we're some of your fears or expectations before you arrived? Mm. Fears and expectations. I don't think I had any fears. I think I was wondering how it was going to be meditating mm. for two full hours every day. Mm. Um, I do have a meditation practice but because of my work and life it's 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 very scattered so to have full 10 days of very structured meditation practice was going to be interesting um I don't think I was fearing it but I was really curious <laughs> to how my body and mind was gonna handle it um expectations obviously I was expecting a lot of tea um as anyone who would go for a tea course, I guess, would. I guess I was surprised by how much tea is just really a metaphor for a lifestyle. Mm. I mean, not a metaphor in that tea is not real. Tea is very, very real. But tea is more like the facilitator of a way of life that you get to have a very real experience with during the 10-day course. Um and that tea, in many instances, kind of almost take a backseat compared to the the teachings and, um, you know, the, the self-development in, in how to approach. The way you approach your tea is really how you should approach every area in your life. The way you clean your tea is how you should clean your home, is how you should take care of yourself, your self-care, but also the care for the community and mm. the people around you. And that whole side of it, I was, I mean, now I'm not surprised. It makes mm. so much sense, mm. but I didn't, I wouldn't have expected that before I went. I think that part is much bigger than I thought it would be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people uh, have this image in their mind that we're constantly drinking tea here, <laughs> which kind of, you know, like if you, like you mentioned, tea is not just drinking tea but it's 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 the whole lifestyle everything around it there can't be a tea session if we don't prepare for it and if we don't clean up for it so in a sense we try to um, live a life of tea uh, meaning that in everything we do we are doing it like we would be brewing tea mm. like mm. mindfully and, and fully doing what we're doing so in that sense I think 
yes, like tea is constantly being made or or lived here. Yeah, yeah, hmm. very much. Uh, what would you say is the most important insight or insights you had and uh, are taking away from this course? Insights. Um, this this really is is very interesting because not to not to jump ahead to to the topics we probably will talk about later, but my first flying teacher ever he always said be deliberate. Hmm. That was the first thing he ever taught me. He said to be deliberate, and what I really feel I coming out of this ten day course with is exactly the same thing. It's the same mantra that kind of keeps coming in my head: keep it simple and keep it deliberate, so that the way you do one thing is how you do everything and the way you brew tea is how you do everything and that's that's a huge thing that has really been very real and manifesting itself every single day during the 10-day course and it's something that's very easy to lose track on um, and lose track with when you get home Um, you get life just catches you and you know It's almost like life brings you around rather than you being in control of it sometimes. But mm-hmm. if you focus on doing every single thing, the way you do one thing, the way you brew your tea, then you will find a much more you will find much more calmness in the way you live and the way you brew your tea. And I think that's probably the biggest insight, mm-hmm. though that, that obviously relates to many things. Um, you were speaking of, um, you know, things that will happen possibly when you get home. So let's kind of segue into that. What do you think will be some of the biggest changes you'll make, maybe physically, um, spiritually, emotionally, uh, once you arrive back home in your in your space? <laughs> well, the first thing that came to my mind was to sell the sofa. <laughs> literally um yeah so good (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I I got my phone back yesterday and my my boyfriend kind of thought that we had to talk about that (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we'll see um but I think in terms of the space if you're gonna look at it sort of physically um I'm a Danish person. We're great with home interior. Mm. It's like we live in dark winters, so we we love putting together a very cozy home. But I realize that maybe it's not always that useful. And to go home and to kind of look with this new set of eyes where you look at usefulness before beauty. Mm. Like you said here, it's like use before form. Function function before, before yeah. form, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me. Um, and I think, I think my home could probably need a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that every day you walk in, you it it kind of it's an it invites you to use it. It invites you to brew to brew tea, to read a book. To I feel very much at home there. But but it's it's. Um, So it sounds like you want to maybe like simplify a little bit more. Yeah, simplify and at least evaluate and see if everything I have is 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 used. Actually, mm. it's very simple. Do I use it? Do I not use it? How often do I use it? It's kind of like when you go through a wardrobe. When did I wear that dress last time? Mm-hmm. If it was a year ago, probably maybe you shouldn't have it. 
if you've forgotten about it, surely you shouldn't have it. <laughs> um, so on a mind, on a mind note, I, I'm definitely gonna keep to a more set meditation schedule. Mm. I'm really, I'm actually really looking forward to have that flowing a lot more um, regularly and a lot more structured. Mm. Having ten days for two hours almost every day makes it um, makes it makes it easy to go home and take half an hour. Half an hour sounds like a long time if you have really been in the groove of it and you haven't been doing it for a long time. But this is like this is like an intense, not an intense. It feels it feels very natural. But that's the whole point. You go home, you feel very natural about sitting for an hour. Mm. Um, so I'm really I'm really looking forward to that part and to and to get structure in general. Actually, I think that's probably my biggest need in my life is that constant battle between fluidity uh, fluidity and, and my work and, and trying to structure and get routines into my everyday life mm. so you're going to trade in your sofa for a tea room or tea space <laughs> sorry are you going to trade in your sofa for a, a tea space in your home <laughs> yeah yeah i'll definitely be able to host more people for tea if i don't have my sofa that's for sure yeah yeah um which part of the course did you find most challenging this is this might seem odd, but when you have such a there's a lot of there's a lot of schedule, which is which is really great. It means that you can completely just give up your your idea of time or your sense of clock or needing to do something because you're being brought around and and the gong is sounding and you just know you're gonna be downstairs and and time kind of just disappears. So actually, what I what I found the most challenging was those breaks when yeah. you had a longer time, for example, after lunch and you had two hours of free time. Sounds very nice on a schedule. Take a rest, have a break, go for a walk. But then you realize what do you normally fill those gaps with? Mm. Your phone, your iPad, wow. calling someone, which, which is good, but again when you don't have technology around and you're in one place and you don't have to organize anything and you don't have to worry about anything then those two hours actually can be quite daunting mm. because what do you fill them with mm -hmm. it's 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 almost harder to have those two hours and to fill them and not knowing what's going to happen than sitting in meditation for an hour and looking into looking at the same piece on the wall like it sounds it sounds strange but it is and it's a very real realization in how in 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 terms of what we fill our lives with for mm -hmm. sure yeah that's a pretty good insight mm. what were i don't know maybe top three or if you have more that's great too some highlights I mean, the first tea session you have with Wura and you serve, mm. he serves amazing tea and talk about life. And it's probably the most philosophical and sort of the way of tea, the way of life, the how everything around tea, both at the heart, um, but also like how that extends into life in terms of environment and sustainability and community. So that that class is obviously beautiful and it just really makes you hungry for more mm. it's like it's like the little starter you have before a meal and you just find out you're so hungry 
Um, So that's definitely number one. Number two is a personal favorite. That's the Gung Fu class because Mm -hmm. I live in Hong Kong. So I came into tea via Gung Fu. So um, that my heart and my soul is in Gung Fu tea. I think it's just such a beautiful traditional practice with a lot of heritage. Mm -hmm. And I just love how, how that seeps into a very modern way of drinking tea it's it's and that's what you do here right it's it's on one side and it's very it has a limit and the age and all the heritage and then all us young people are sitting here and drinking it and mm. living a life in 2019 it's very beautiful um and number three It's always beautiful to go to a farm, to a tea farm, mm. and to meet the farmers, for sure. And I mean, you're so lucky here. You live so close <laughs> to all the tea plantages, and Taiwan is so lush. And to have the relationship uh, with the tea farmers, and even having one that offers up the offers up offers us the opportunity to go and actually make tea at his farm is very unique. Um, so that was that was a that was just such a cool day, yeah. There's mm. not much to say because it's such a it's a, it's just a, such a heartwarming mm-hmm. and soft and an experience where you just feel a lot of gratitude mm-hmm. towards everything you do and the farmers do and the way tea is grown and how much labor goes into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a very unique experience for a Western person. Besides what you said about um, expectation-wise, like uh, expecting to have so much tea, was there anything else that kind of surprised you or was unexpected uh, in the course? I think I'm most surprised by how much everything is thought of. Like how every little detail is mm. literally orchestrated to make this beautiful symphony of tea. Mm. How the chashi, not just in one room, and like every room <laughs> depicts the theme of the day. And how how beautiful it is to have these things guiding your journey every day with tea and what you're learning. And it's a lot of them is very subtle, mm. but that makes them so beautiful. They're mm. not, no one brings you to the room and say, look at this. This is, we made this for you. It's it's like all these little hands that come out when we go to bed mm. that completely transforms the room and decides what is what kind of breakfast will go well with the tea we're having today what kind of lunch are we having do they need more nourishment do they need less how is this going to affect their meditation every little thing has every little thing has so much so much thought into it Mm. and i find this um this is actually one of those things i've always been admiring of of Japanese culture and which why I have so much love for for that and 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 how how to see that in a space that is 
It's very hard to articulate, I think, actually. It's, it's something you have to experience. You know, if someone tells you a joke, it's never fun if they tell you what the meaning of the joke is. Mm-hmm. It, it, <laughs> completely not, it. it doesn't make it funny. Yeah. <laughs> but if someone makes a joke and you go and think about it, and then two hours later, while you're doing something completely other, and you laugh, and you're like, ah, I get it, and it's even better. <laughs> that is... That is the most amazing thing. That's mm. the best jokes. And mm. that sort of care and love that works that way where you you don't no one no one is telling you that these things has been done. But the more you you pay attention to them, the more you realize how much attention someone else paid uh, put into them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, that's I I don't think I've ever had or been somewhere where the whole way of living from from food from from like it's what you take in but it's also what you see and and the way people act and not act like the the way the way everyone holds themselves in the space and nourishing and the atmosphere they're creating um it's such a whole experience and that's why i lit the 10 day courses is a very it's a very transformative experience, but to put down your finger and say that was what made us transformative and that was what made the difference, that's impossible. You can't. Mm-hmm. It's the whole experience. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I just got chills. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So I think we're going to shift gears now a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much. That was that was so wonderful. Um, so let's get into... Your incredible occupation, (laughs) (laughs) which is um, you're an airline pilot, a first officer to be exact. Mm. So amazing, incredible, wonderful. (laughs) Um, Can you share with us how tea creates discipline in this world of like fluctuating schedules and time zones and countries and cities and, and how tea sort of grounds you both figuratively and literally, <laughs> um, in your everyday life? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that. I love talking about this. Mm. Um, yeah, where where do I start? Because this really encapsulates everything. Um, the more I do tea, the more I drink tea, the more I experience of the way of tea, and how that correlates with a quiet, quiet mind and a simple lifestyle. I start seeing more and more connections towards my job in a very strange ways because you wouldn't otherwise think that this is seems very relatable. Um, I think what comes to mind first is one of the principles we learned during the 10 day course it says stay with the tea. Mm. I think most passengers would appreciate if I stay with the plane. It's <laughs> a way, very easy way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you fly, it's like drinking, it's like making tea, it's like brewing tea. You have to be 100% focused. You can't think about what you're having for dinner. Certainly the passengers would not appreciate if you're thinking about dinner while you land an airplane. Mm-hmm. I think that we they would consider that very unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and... This is a paradox that kind of seems to be more and more relevant for me. We have we have alcohol testing, of course, like if you can't drive a car if you've been drinking. 
we have drug testing. Of course, you can't take drugs if um, if you're gonna fly. Mm-hmm. But no one tests your mind. Mm. No one, no one, no one sees what you're thinking about while you fly. Isn't that just as relevant? Isn't that just as safety? Doesn't that relate to to safety? Absolutely, it does in every single way. If we are in our minds somewhere completely different, we we're not gonna we're not gonna hear that radio call, or we we're not gonna pay attention to that plane that's getting a little bit too close on the left side, or if you miss out an instruction, it's just not gonna happen, and you make mistakes, and that's obviously why we're more people. Um, in a plane, no one, all of us are human. Mm. Like all of us through tea, we make mistakes. Um, but we try to keep our mind as calm and focused and quiet as possible so we can bet, bet, do the best job possible. And the more I learn to brew tea, the more I know that this is something I've been doing for a long time because this was the essential part of how I learned to fly. So brewing tea has a very long history with Sen. But you could you could say flying planes is just a sin. Mm-hmm. I've been in sin practice for seven years now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously, then drinking drinking tea. It's not just on the plane, but also off the plane. It's that constant in my life, and it's that reminder. So in that sense, though I do love tea, it's also a grounding practice and a reminder to keep being this way and keep living this way and keep coming back to this way so that when I sit with my ball I take my I take my balls with me on my on my flights and I will brew my leaves in a bowl in a hotel room somewhere and I'll sit with that bowl of tea and look at those leaves and it will remind me how how life can be lived and remind me that that's even accessible and possible on the road it's not just for those people who have a regular routine and come home to their the home and their teaware and can go to bed the same time every night and wake up mm. the same night of same morning. Um, it's accessible for everyone, really, and that's the beauty. It it's it's that easy. It's very simple. Mm. And then again, it's not simple, but. <laughs> It's simple, but not easy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can you? I'm just uh, curious about this. Um, can you actually drink tea while you are in the cockpit? Like, could you have a thermos and like sip <laughs> sip on some tea while you fly a plane? Oh no. <laughs> of course. Actually, before Global Tea Hut, I used to whisk matcha. <laughs> oh, really? In the yeah. cockpit? No, not in the cockpit. I would I would go out and whisk it. But okay. I would bring in a bowl of whisk matcha into the cockpit, and I would sit and sip it. And wow. I would often get curious questions um, yeah. from both sides when I was whisking with my little travel whisk in the galley with the cabin crew, and they would be curiously staring over my shoulder of what uh-huh. I was doing. And, and obviously from my colleagues as well, what that green green mess was that I was sitting and sipping. Are those watercolors? Um, are you, are you <laughs> about to paint? <laughs> yeah, 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 correct, correct. Yeah, now I tend to bring thermos. It's a little easier. The whisking was um, a little a little more laborsome. So I, I often bring a thermo now. And I, you know, you realize what kind of tea works better when you fly. Like I can't sit and count the steepings because maybe I need to do something or mm-hmm. maybe, you know, I have 
I have work chores, so you know, flying yeah. is the first priority. Sipping tea is going to be, <laughs> unfortunately, number second sometimes. Of course. Um, so yeah, you know, perfecting what kind of teas work for for flights and what don't. Like oolong tends to be a bit oversteeped, mm-hmm. <laughs> for example. Um, do you have a favorite tea to drink? I do actually. Yeah, yeah. That's really what got me onto black tea mm. um, because a lot of black teas. Because we often boil them, um, they can handle the not very well temperated water we get on the flights. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no one tests whether that's 95 degrees, 100 degrees, or 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to have a forgiving tea. And a black tea, I had recently a, I don't know how to pronounce it, the food one. It's uh, with the golden flowers and um, it's very, very sweet and very yummy. Mm-hmm. I got uh, one of those that's been, as it was a brick tea mm-hmm. uh, and was just amazing. You could just dump a small part of the brick in the thermos and it would just go for the whole flight. Mm-hmm. And it had an amazing ability to just calm everything down and just really make you focused mm-hmm. and, and, and zen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a very nice tea. I'm I might gonna test the uh, um, the pagoda. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking of bringing that uh, sometime. I think mm-hmm. I have a little bit left, so that might give that a go on mm-hmm. my on my next flight when I get home. You should you should let us know how it goes on the app. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah. people would be yeah. interested in yeah. knowing that. Note for good flying tea, correct? <laughs> yeah, right. certified by an actual Ex- pilot. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> correct. Certified for flying. Yeah, very very true. It no. makes it more accurate. Yeah. scientific official yeah <laughs> um so like having worked in the airline industry myself for almost 10 years before coming here which is so wild <laughs> i can totally understand and relate to what it means to work in these incredibly loud and jarring environments swimming in the palpable anxiety of people as they travel <laughs> oh yeah oh yes you you know how it goes um So I guess I'm curious about a couple things. Um, One being sort of what we've already kind of been touching on is like just how tea is just guiding you back to that quietude and that stillness. And maybe you have some examples of um, situations you've run into where you've sort of had to like rely on tea or fall back on tea or have have her as an ally in those situations. And also I just thought about like, when you're traveling or when you're on these layovers, um, is tea sort of also guiding you in terms of like how you, how and where you spend your time, your free time, <laughs> like play, what places you visit or stay? That's two very good questions. <laughs> That's going to be some long answers for both of them. Amazing. Um, in terms of the actual work, it's, um, it's interesting how much of a helping hand tea can, can give you. Mm because it makes you pause. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that you learn very quickly or will be a very good help for you if you learn in, in this sort of work is to sit on your hands. Um, if you're going to sit on your hands, you might as well hold a bowl of tea, right? Mm. It's the same effect. You mm-hmm. just take a break, just breathe in and take a sip. and Just think about how everything is moving around you. And we have so many things moving around us Mm -hmm. most people don't know but actually the most busy time for us the plane hasn't even left the gate Mm. you're probably boarding at this time and you're finding your seats and stuff and up front we're having millions of people in and out the door 
This is like air traffic control on the radio. It's the ground handlers. It's the cabin crew who's asking questions. It's the engineering if there's anything that needs to be fixed. It's company that you might need to call. It's catering. There are mm-hmm. so many people involved in just getting us out. Mm-hmm. We haven't even left the ground yet. Mm-hmm. And in these moments, it's very easy to react. It's like you want you want to get things done. And you have a departure schedule you're trying to conform to. So you have pressure. Everyone wants to be out on time. And so for you, it's very easy to get caught up in this sort of hassle and everyone's needs. Everyone has different things they're trying to achieve. And and they always think that their things is mm-hmm, the most important mm-hmm. thing. Yep. <laughs> so that is not always what is most important eventually so for you to sit on your hand for a second and kind of just taking a quiet step back instead of seeing how the situation is evolving and then make a plan in your head and then deliberately Hmm. executing it is very very helpful and it makes everything so much calmer and it calms other people's down uh, other people down too Mm -hmm. some people don't even realize how rushed they are because they're miles ahead of themselves. They're not in the moment. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to achieve something that hasn't even occurred yet. It's something way out in the future. And they ha- don't ha- even have a second to stand and breathe. They have no idea where their body, are, body is. Their mind is just miles away from them already. So actually, you're not helping, just helping yourself. You're also helping everyone else. You are literally the one who can help everyone to take that breath. And just stop for a second. Mm-hmm. So when someone rushes in the cockpit and say, I need to get this done and we need to da, 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 da. And you just take a break, take a sip of tea mm-hmm. and look at them. They might think this is really annoying because they <laughs> want to have an answer right now. <laughs> but you're not letting them rush you. You're just taking that breath. And then they also are forced to take a breath. And then you ask them, how are you? Why, Jay? How is everything going? They're like, no. oh, but we need to get this done. It's is like, everything okay? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Do you need an apple? It's almost like cup? we have to want... remind each other to be human again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not uncommon. Often, often it's a cup of coffee the captain's offering, but sometimes it could be a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Like, sit down. Have you eaten yet? Take a cup of tea. We'll sort this through. And in that sense, again, tea is tea is a way that gives you an opportunity to calm down and to simplify and slow down and take a step back. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I'll I'll the first thing I'll do is to get my get my my, my tea and my thermo going because I know this will be incredibly helpful throughout that hour we have before we get going mm-hmm. because we're not we're not that many who can who can take that break for people mm-hmm. so we, we really need we really need to give ourselves that time for ourselves and for everyone else and that's that's what the tea does so incredibly well um, even in a cockpit Mm-hmm. It seems to me that in the airline industry, it's it's very very important to get things done quickly, but 
without rushing and that implies also the presence of this meditative mind like mm-hmm. you can't get things done quickly uh without rushing unless your your state of mind is clear mm-hmm. and you're, you're present in the moment mm. right? and you make them you may make the right the wrong decisions exactly if you had a problem while flying and you need some some things requires relatively immediate action mm-hmm. if you do the wrong thing you you might just have doomed everyone mm. it's very very important that you do the right steps in the right order at the right time and you confirm that the right things are happening and that requires that you can step outside that urge to act so instead of the doing 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 you just be for a second and that allows your doing to be much more thought through Mm -hmm. efficient and efficient and right Mm. yeah it's if if i could tell my colleagues one single thing that would make airline industry and our job so much safer it would be to meditate Mm -hmm. Mm. I would also recommend them to do yoga because we sit a lot. (laughs) And as everyone says, sitting is a new smoking. But meditation above all, because our livelihood is our minds. We'll live. We have to have a healthy body. We have to have a good eyesight. Everyone focus on your physical abilities. You cannot be sick. You have to have good eyesight, good hearing, all these things. But actually what we need above all of that, we need a clear mind and a mind that doesn't bend under pressure and can withstand being beaten by the outside from time to time. Mm. Um, and in terms of your second question, actually, I'll, I'll jump into that. Mm. Um, also, well, the, be- the beautiful thing with the Global Tia community is that it has allowed me to, mm. to go visit so <laughs> many sisters and brothers around the whole network. That's right, because um, that's how we just got to visit one another in L.A. When I yeah. went home for a visit, you were on a layover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming to a city nearby you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I, I love this. This is... This is Probably in terms of my layovers and connections and community, probably one of the most transformative Mm. experiences and and sort of developments I've had in my work life. I've gone from having, I mean, all my friends and family live in Denmark, so I don't know much people outside. Mm -hmm. And now there is like a tea house where someone knows someone and we have friends in every single big city. It, it's LA, it's New York. One of the sisters I sat the 10-day course with is in Paris. It's There'll be one in London. It was in Vancouver. It's just everywhere. Wow. And it's going to be hard to get my meditation in on my labors now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's been, it's, it's been such a beautiful discovery, obviously, while the global Tihad app um i'm also able to see where where things are happening and where people are and i actually have a really amazing story about that um about my first four um balls that i serve leaves on a balls or side handle with so i was going to new york and i was looking on the new york global Tihad group to see if there was anything going on and 
unfortunately, there was no tea sets. Um, then usually I would go to poor Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that's, I always go and visit there. Um, but what came up actually was that one of the tea sisters, um, Leigh Fanity mm-hmm. in New York, yes. she was having a ceramic exhibition with some other ceramic artists somewhere on Manhattan. And that was going to be exactly those two days I was coming. So, of course, I thought, I love pottery. Pottery literally got me into tea. It's, um, I have such a deep, I don't know, it's a very Danish thing, I think, to like useful things. But I find pottery so, so beautiful and, and so unique. So, of course, I was going to, of course, I was going to go and visit her exhibition. Um, so I went there. And I've I've never I never met her, but you know she's a global tea hut sister, so you know it's like family. So I went there and and went to her stall, and she just had so many beautiful things. But amongst all of them, there was these gorgeous balls that was just the color of the earth, and they were orange, and they had these beautiful camellia flowers on the side, and but in a very, just very earthy, very wabby sort of way, and I just loved them. And then, of course, I introduced myself and said, hi, I'm <laughs> one of the Global Tea Hut, Global Tea Hut people. And she just, she just came right out of her stall and gave me a big hug. And it was like, mm-hmm. it's like you've known each other for a very long time. That was literally the first time I saw her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such a beautiful connection. So, of, of course, I, I took home the, the four balls there, living, living in my home now in, in Hong Kong. And, and just feeling the gratitude of sharing these things, her sharing her art and me being able to give them life with tea through the lineage that we share and Mm -hmm. the practice that we share and the tea that we share so me knowing that they come from a sister and her knowing that they're being used for beautiful living tea in Hong Kong it just felt so right and I was just I was dancing at that exhibition I thought it was just the best hours I've had in New York and that just proves that it doesn't matter where you go. It mm-hmm. might sound like a glamorous lifestyle to fly around the world and visit all these great cities, but in the end, it's not the place, it's the people. Mm-hmm. So having all these amazing people I can visit. I am also obviously <laughs> gone a few times and such a vibrant community there, mm-hmm. such a beautiful space. It's, But the people makes all of the difference. Mm-hmm. It's the hug, it's the reunion. The reunion that wasn't even a reunion because you're meeting for the first time, but you've heard about them. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's very special. So a few days ago, we uh, had a little chat, um, me and you, Katrine, and you mentioned something really interesting about like how important, I think you said like 90% of like flying the airplane is, is people skills. Can mm. you talk about that? Yeah, of course. It's um, I always I always tend to joke, and of course, in any joke, there's a quite a, a lot of truth normally lying underneath. Um, I always say that flying a plane is like taking a psychology degree for free, hmm. 
because people skills is everything. I think probably close to, I'm saying 90% is actually social skills. I do believe to some extent that actually probably most people can learn how to fly. It's a, it's a hand skill after all. With, if you're healthy, if you've got the right mind, with enough time, yeah, sure. But not all people are cut to be great pilots in terms of the social skills that's required to do a good job. And it's because we have so many people around. It's If you don't know how to handle them, if you don't know how to comfort them, if you don't know where to draw the line, if you don't know how to be the boss, but also the one that you can tell how you're feeling on that day, you're not going to make a great pilot. Mm. You, you, might, you might make a great single pilot. Sure, you can go fly single airplane somewhere. There's a lot of people that does that. But an airline pilot, we don't fly these planes alone. I have at least one colleague, maybe two, maybe three. Sometimes we have four people if we go somewhere, LA, New York, long flights. Mm -hmm. Plus the cabin crew and all the passengers. Exactly. And the ground crew as well. Exactly. If I had to count how many people I'm interacting with on a normal day, it's a lot. And the social dynamics that that involves is incredibly complex and On top of that, it's not the same people I fly with every day. It's totally new people every flight. Mm -hmm. And even if you've flown with one of them before, 90% of the other ones is different. The combination is different. Mm -hmm. If you took all the employees that I could potentially work with in my company, the combination amount would be astronomical. It mm. would never happen. In that way, every single flight is a special flight because that combination of people and mindset and moods will never happen again. And that is unique. And you have to be very, very moldable and very dynamic when it comes to that. You have to be incredibly patient, but you also need to know where to put the foot down because obviously when you have responsibility and you have control, mm -hmm. you also have the authority and the responsibility of saying when you don't like something mm -hmm. and that's a fine line and especially in my job because I'm as not being a captain yet as being in a more junior position I still have a boss I need to work with and this this boss will set the tone of how how does that flight feel on this day mm -hmm. his mood will affect everything and sometimes I almost become the buffer so if if he is in a certain mood then I can, the way I act can either aggravate that or it can calm it down. Mm -hmm. So it becomes incredibly important because whether I do one or the other and whether or not he is in a certain mood or not, that will affect the tone of how the cabin crew work and how everything else works. I mean, so, even before the plane leaves, I absolutely. have experience with that, you know, 100%. And it starts, like you said, um, hours before takeoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you meet that person for the first time in dispatch, like your social radar is already mm -hmm. scanning. Mm -hmm. It's like, who is this person? What kind of per person? Like you, you, you kind of running a a quiet analysis in your in your mind of how to how to establish the best working relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. And this is not like like you're tracking to trying to like read his mind or anything wild like that. It's not like that. It's more like I know that I will have a better flight that day 
happier flight, nicer colleagues, a more smooth environment. And that ultimately is a safer environment mm -hmm. if I know who I'm flying with. Mm -hmm. And if I can manage that person being a male or a female in the right way. Mm -hmm. So it's very simple. It's like you walk into a room and you feel the air. How is the air? Is it thick? Is it light? Is it happy? Is it somehow sad? Like, what are you working with? And, and, and you make that work in your favor. Make that better. Mm -hmm. Work with those vibes. And it and it's so interesting because, and I'm I'm sure you've had this experience as well working in this industry. Um, in the past, I was able to feel into those things and take the temperature of the room because of tea, because of being able to work with subtleties on a consistent basis. It allowed them to sort of um, find their way into other situations in my life that I was like super grateful for. Mm, this disability really extends outside the cockpit mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. your own life mm -hmm. and that's what i said the way <laughs> like you say here the way you brew tea is how you should approach life as well it's pretty much the same thing the way i approach work the way i try to approach life and vice versa as well everything what you do as a job seeps into your private life mm -hmm. and what you do in your private life seeps into your work like mm -hmm. you cannot separate the two so obviously those skills you get by doing so makes you more sensitive mm -hmm. it makes you being able to detect subtleties that maybe other people or if you didn't do what you do wouldn't be detectable um i find myself being very sensitive to the way the tea makes me feel mm -hmm. and i think on a on a level of how my mood is and how my energy level is it makes sense I have a very sensitive radar in terms of how my energy feels, how my mood feels, how sharp my mind is. And obviously teas, tea can enhance that. Mm -hmm. They have different teas, have different ways they change your energy and the way your the calmness of your mind is settling in. Mm -hmm. So actually that is very beautiful. It actually has enhanced my, my experience of tea a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also, like you said, this this kind of sensitivity to relationship is just like I said, relationship is is everything. Like it's you can be at any place in the world, but the people you're with is is the biggest gift. And to be able to have that sensitivity to to people is just a marvelous thing to have in your backpack. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in many ways what tea really is doing is facilitating a conversation between between people. It has that connectivity in it. And when you sit over a cup of tea and and you quiet down and you have it enhances that sensitive radar. Mm -hmm. When I have a cup of tea, I allow myself to quiet the noises around me so I can feel into who I'm who I'm sitting with and my own state of energy and my own state of awareness. And to have that realization, especially when you fly, is, is really important, um, as is diet and as is sleep. Mm -hmm. To know on a day how how I feel is affected by all these multitude of, of things around me 
makes me really able to gauge how am I going to approach my work today. If I didn't have my eight hours of sleep, if I ate something that it doesn't feel right in my body, my energy might be affected. And that, again, will change the way I need to work. Maybe I need to write some notes for myself or some reminders for myself. Or I need to just internally be more diligent about that I do all the checks or maybe double check things an extra time because I know I know my performance is affected. And that's actually really it. It's like your your internal performance, your performance as a human being, your performance as a optimally functioning human being, both mind, body and spirit. How is it today? Mm. My job makes me evaluate that every single time I fly. Mm. And what a gift. <laughs> that that I would be eternally grateful for mm. forever. Which is also, that kind of leads me to obviously having this more and more mindful lifestyle tea. You're incredibly diligent about making sure that the tea is organic, that it's living, that it's sustainable, that it's made with farmers um, who take care of the earth and everything. Of course, that makes you think about what you do and makes me very aware that I'm burning a lot of gas mm -hmm. a lot of not very sustainable fuel and putting it into the atmosphere um, and I thought a lot about that because obviously when you go through this and look at all your areas of life and try to make it better and make it better in the way that it's more more sustainable and more environmentally friendly you you I, I couldn't help question whether this job of mine was that in conflict and obviously on some level it is in conflict but when that is said it also has an incredible capacity to be improved mm -hmm. and I have a capacity to help that improvement mm -hmm. I have a capacity to affect my colleagues who might not be aware of these things if I quit my job and you know, went to a place that was very much in line with all with my beliefs and everything. Became would, a hippie. <laughs> it became a hippie. I would be I would probably be very happy and peaceful, but I wouldn't make a big change because I can't I wouldn't change people who's already were living and 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 breathing in line with mm -hmm. what I what I think is ultimately the best for all of us and the world. Mm. But if I see these things in a place that hasn't necessarily realized some of the changes that could improve and not just on an environmental level just also on their work level mm -hmm. uh i feel i have I, f i feel i have i hopefully still have something to give there and you know if you just leave all of them if, if everyone if everyone with that kind of mindset just left who is there to improve the conditions mm -hmm. that's right It's, it's, you know, like some of you might have said, it's easy to go meditate in a cave for 10 years, but the hard part is to come out and actually, you know, face the world again and, right. and vice versa. It's, it's, it, seem, it might seem easy to go and live a life that is fully aligned with, it's not, it's not easy, but it would be the simple answer. Mm -hmm. But to stay put, regardless of you being, um, you having daily reminders of things that are that are different or different mindsets and different beliefs, and you know you have this constant 
attack or questioning of, of your belief, you make yourself stronger and you have more to give. Hmm. And hopefully, maybe I can, through that sort of spirit of, of, of calmness and tea and, and connection, um, I'll be able to affect some of the colleagues I work with. Mm-hmm. Or at least better the environment for those for those who uh, who work there, mm-hmm. you know, be a center of peace and calm in the middle of the storm. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always hope to. I hope to see it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because how are you gonna, how are you gonna change the world if you don't interact with the world, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. If you're Absolutely. off meditating in a cave or or on an island enjoying your life, then you have yeah. very little impact on the world. Exactly, and you could you could even say that's on some level a bit egoic yeah, selfish. because you just you, it's exactly selfish you're just taking care of your own salvation and your own enlightenment and your own well-being and happiness you're not and you're being delusional to to the world like the world is not like that the world is not a cave of quietude and and simplicity it's a wild chaotic <laughs> storm of stuff and constant bombardment of things to be sold and trade it and you know money and greed of course but it's within that if you can meditate in the middle of the road with the roaring traffic you know you'll be a much better meditator than if you sit in a quiet center right Mm. it's that's the hard part so so i even even it's a good question and and i do hope i do really honestly hope that airline airline flying will become in the years to come a lot more sustainable and a lot more environmentally friendly. I've already seen steps towards it. Um, I probably better stay put, I realize. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's it's about not what you're existing in or the environment that you're existing in, but how you're existing in it. Correct. Mm. Correct. And mm-hmm. maintaining that integrity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, we, we got to figure out how to get more pilots and more airline stuff to meditate and drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yes. 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 Absolutely. That would make think about how safe how safe flying would be. Like ninety-nine point nine percent of airline incidents is human error. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you know the way we deal with that now is to come up with electronics that can make sure that we don't do those errors and you know, mm-hmm. can look at all the the stories from mm-hmm. from the Boeing seven three seven Max, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That they had to ground because they came up with electronics. The that didn't work too well. Is so reactionary. It's, yes, it's so reactionary. Oh my gosh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> exactly, and that's the thing, right? You know, their the the their answer to how to solve the human error is to, to wait for something to go wrong first. Yeah, react to it, and then to put machines mm-hmm. to do a better job mm-hmm. instead of looking at the human mind and say, okay, mm-hmm. human is making the error. Maybe we fix the problem with the humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't mean. Just missing the opportunity. There's exactly. so much opportunity there to to address these things before they take place. Exactly. You're missing. The, it's in my opinion. Of course, there's something to set to make to to of course look for opportunity in electronics to mm-hmm. make things safer. But you you are partly missing the point mm-hmm. at not looking towards where the errors are made and see if there is other ways to to improve mm-hmm. that. Of course, this is a lot less easy to quantify. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you quantify a meditation course or these kind of things? So if you can't do that, a lot of people wouldn't be willing to go for that. But I would propose and say that's, that, that would be the way to go. 
because it is what we're living for like what we're living off is our is our brain and our mind and we just don't we do normal training but we don't train our minds and brain the way we know we have methods to do that in our days you go put leaders up and you know on coach train with coaches and training and these things and you have more holistic views and leadership being a captain or an airline pilot is a leadership position. Mm-hmm. We should so. be seen exactly the same way. So we have a f- we have a few things to catch up <laughs> with on uh, <laughs> when it when it comes to our industry for sure. Mm-hmm. What you said earlier about uh, that it takes more than just one person to fly a commercial airline made me think that you know that kind of highlights the one of the really deep life lessons that I've learned here at the hut is that we don't really have independent self-existence. We're always like relying on other factors. Like there's, it takes so many conditions for us to, to exist. We, we cannot exist, you know, without air, water, and uh, even, you know, like other people around us, we don't make our own clothes. We don't grow all of our food nowadays and uh, so on. So like being in the cockpit, do you feel that you are acutely aware of that? You have to put your trust into other other people, essentially. And I don't know if, if you feel that in, in that sort of way, but but is there a feeling of like uh, a lot of trust placed in, in other people's hands and, and the plane kind of working as a, uh, almost like an organism, not just like it's me doing my job, but like we are working as a team? Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's um it's been very beautiful actually flying with a couple of female captains on that note. Um they seem to have a slightly different quality that you would expect in terms of like, you know, masculine and feminine and especially what comes from them is that almost that kind of vibe of being like the mother of the plane. It's very beautiful. It's mm-hmm. like this kind of nourishing motherly like protection you feel. Mm. Um but in general, of course, you you are not your own little world in a plane you have lots of other planes around you you have air traffic and you you're you're questioning you of course is running an internal logic check to make sure that what they're telling you is correct and and makes sense but ultimately you are still trusting that what they're doing um is correct and in that way you are trusting that everyone does the best job they can to the best of their ability because everyone knows that their job is is important and they have people's lives in their hands for sure. But that's also part of it. It's part of being a great captain and leader um, is also to let go and to trust people are doing the right job. I've seen I've seen plenty of captains who try to manc- micromanage mm-hmm. a cockpit. And it's it's honestly a disaster because ultimately they lose track of their own tasks mm-hmm. too. Because they're trying to manage everyone else's tasks. And when they try to do other people's job, how can they do their own job? They're not supposed to do any job, really, in some sort of sense. They're supposed to manage, to make sure and overlook that everything is done and doesn't get missed. And then they fill the gaps. They're supposed to kind of hold everything together. So in that sense, you do give up a lot of responsibility and you're vulnerable mm-hmm. for sure but that's part of it relax in this uncertainty yeah. and don't everyone love when their superior or someone else who is managing them trust that they're doing a great job 
and you show them that you're doing a great job mm-hmm. and they're proud of you doing a great job you feel proud of yourself mm-hmm. that is so satisfying people people want to most people want to do the best of their abilities and and they want to have room to do that they don't want to be told to do that mm-hmm. so when you have all these people you're working with on the ground there's also a sense of that when they come up with with problems and questions and and wants and needs is that you let them do that as much as you can on their own and you back up their ideas and you listen to them and you you encourage them mm-hmm. and you encourage them to take responsibility there's a, in my industry there's a lot of fear for taking responsibility there's a lot of fear for for making decisions for mm-hmm. a lot of these people because they know that if they can for they can get someone else to make the decision if something goes wrong they can say it was not their fault mm-hmm. but they're not going to grow within that that's a constant state of um insecurity in their job position and trying to push away responsibility if you instead encourage them and give them the tools and say I'll back you up mm-hmm. I think this is a good idea you go ahead and do that and you have my permission you're giving them authority and you're also giving them permission to grow and then you let them do their job and you do your job and ultimately you will have a much more peaceful much more effective and much happier environment and then when things does go wrong a lot of these things again we're on the ground they're not a catastrophe we're not flying yet we're things can be mended we might be going 5 minutes late but that's okay they learn if we're 5 minutes late they probably know we're 5 minutes late because of what they did you don't scold them or tell them off or say that what they did was wrong you encourage them and say but too bad it didn't work out that way the way we thought the the first time and then you know that for the next time you need to let people grow within this uh, within this space you you, you and, and that's where a good leader knows what is safe and unsafe they they make sure that things are that needs to be 100% safe that they double check and triple check but the rest they let, let people make mistakes because that's how we ultimately going to do the best the best job be the best workers and colleagues and leaders we can mm. so we turn obstacles into offerings absolutely <laughs> absolutely you are got that right on point there's mm. a lot of There's a lot of lot of room for that. <laughs> a lot of room for that. Okay, one last question. Um, in a few sentences, can you say what does a life of tea mean to you personally? Well, a life of tea. Well, a life of tea is everything now. It's like the manifestation of what I've been doing for years. Life of tea really has given me the opportunity to understand what I've been doing already and to bring that together in one beverage that almost becomes a symbol of the practices and the mindset and the beliefs I have it's it's like this unifying symbol of all of that a life of tea is is connection ultimately as well hmm It's becoming my heritage as well now living in living in Hong Kong and literally steeping myself in the culture 
tea is bringing together so many areas of my life that it's even really hard to just count them. It's bringing together the sun mind of my flying. It's bringing together the connection of family and friends. It's bringing together that I'm living in Hong Kong, that I'm probably going to live there for a very long time, and it's probably ultimately will be part of my culture. It's bringing together so many areas that otherwise didn't have a combined center. So it's almost like these things come back to a bowl of tea. It's very, it's very beautiful. It's this very centering experience. So in, in that way, when I first met tea by the Global Tea Hut, it was, it was just really a homecoming. I knew it was right straight away. I went home actually the same day and signed up mm. because it was, it was just everything. It was filling a gap that I, that I didn't know was there, but that just tied everything so beautifully together and just made the picture whole. So for me, life of tea is not, it's not just a bowl of tea. It's, it's a way of life. It's undoubtedly everything you shared with us so eloquently for the past hour. So thank you so much. Mm. You're welcome. Thank you, Katrine. I, I think I speak for the both of us, uh, me and Morgan, and mm -hmm. also maybe for the listeners that we're so happy to have you here mm -hmm. and uh, we'd love to, in the future, um, do another podcast with you if you're ever back in, in the hut. Absolutely. You're most welcome. It's been my pleasure too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please help us reach more people by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Your comments, likes, and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another way to support this project is to sign up for the ad-free magazine that we publish every month. To find out how you can support us in creating our new free tea center, Light Meets Life, please visit lightmeetslife.org. If you would like more information on linear topics, such as brewing techniques, feel free to check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut.